welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Vacaville, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We are so glad and honored that you would join us today, and we pray that this message you're listening to is a blessing to your day. We want to invite you to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service times. We hope to see you at a service or a special event sometime soon. See if you remember this old song. Touching Jesus is all that really matters. And your life will never be the same for there's only one way you can touch him you must believe when you call on his name brother Vincent you can help and touching Jesus is all that really matters and your life will never be the same how many know that's true for there's only one way you can touch him you must believe when you call on his name if you know it sing it touching jesus sing it is all that really matters and your life will never be the same for there's only one way you will touch him you must believe when you call on his name touching jesus it's all that really matters and your life will never be the same for there's only one way you will touch him you must believe when you call on his name I'm so glad for everybody that's here but I'm going to tell you something there's nothing more important than touching Jesus in this service doesn't matter where you are in life, doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter your pedigree. All that matters is getting in the presence of the Lord and reaching out and touching Him. Oh, and touching Jesus, it's all that really matters. And your life will never be same for there's only one way that you will touch him you must believe when 
you call on his name if you know it i want you to sing it oh and touching jesus is all that really matters and your life will never be the same for there's only one way you will touch him you must believe when you call on I'm going to play it like we did back home. I want you to lift your hands and Sing it with me, stand and sing it all and touching Jesus that really matters, and your life will never be the same. For there's only one way you can touch Him. believe when you call on his name oh there's only one way to touch him you must believe when you call on his name hallelujah hallelujah Come on, how many believe in that name? How many believe in that name? There's no name like that name. Well, bless that wonderful name of Jesus. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. No other name. Well now bless that wonderful name of Jesus Bless that wonderful name of Jesus Bless that wonderful name of Jesus No other name I know Well there's power in the name of Jesus Power in the name In the name of Jesus, no other name I know. Sing it again now. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. Bless that wonderful name. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus, no other name. No other name, no other name, no 
name is Jesus, 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 Jesus. No other name I know. So blessed and wonderful name. Come on, sing it. One more time, say bless. Well, blessed and wonderful name. Blessed and wonderful name. Blessed and wonderful name. Jesus. No other. I gotta say it again. Well, there's healing in the name of Jesus. There's healing in the name. Of Jesus, come on, there is healing in the name of Jesus. Well, there's come on, say no other name, 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 no other name. Given among men whereby we must be saved, no other name. For bless that wonderful name. Yes, let's bless that wonderful name. Come on and bless that wonderful name of Jesus. There is no other name I know. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm glad I know that name. Oh, hallelujah. Victory in that name. Salvation in that name. Power in that name. We're the people of the name. Washed in his name. Saved by his name. Unashamed of the name of Jesus. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him. And given him a name that's above every other name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every tongue confess that he is the Lord of all. And his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. That's all right. We're a Jesus name church. We know Jesus is the Father. We know Jesus is the Son. We know Jesus is the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen. Y'all better calm it down or we're just going to shout through this thing today. Amen. Hallelujah. Nobody like Jesus. I know he's a burden bearer. I know he's a heavy load sharer. I know he's a wheel in the middle of the wheel. 
and it's like fire gets set up in your bones. You can only go so long before you have to throw your head back and just shout because nobody could do you like Jesus. Nobody's ever blessed you like Jesus. Nobody's ever done what Jesus has done. Come on, the old folks said he's a, he's a lawyer in a courtroom. He's a doctor in a sick room. That's my Jesus. <laughs> and he's alive. He's alive. Amen, amen, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, if Jesus ain't alive, then who's this living in my soul? <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. Amen, amen. If you got your Bibles, let's go to Genesis 22, beginning at verse number one. If y'all don't calm down, we're just going to shout this service out. Amen. We don't apologize for this at all. Amen. We, we love worshiping Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. What a name. No name like that name. No name like at the mention of his name, at the whisper of his name. Matter of fact, if you just even think his name, I remember. I remember years ago I was starting out as a young preacher, and I was what was typically custom then. I would get under the pastor's desk and pray. I always, I like to pray in dark. I like to pray with it. I don't know why I like it kind of dark, and I don't get distracted. That's why. And I get under the desk. I can't do that anymore. And I'd pray, and I got on that desk, and I was praying about the name of Jesus. And I said, Brother Lee, I said, oh, God, give me a greater revelation of the power of your name. I just kept praying that. And you don't have to believe what I'm about to say, but I, I felt like God just pulled back the physical realm. And I'll never forget is as if I was looking through the ceiling of that sanctuary and I saw a little boy sitting on the pew and he had a blank piece of paper and he had a crayon and I watched him write the J and the E and the S and the U and, the, and as I was, as he was writing that, I could see entities that were not of God, demonic entities, just trembling. And I thought, if that name is so powerful, a little child just coloring that name. The Bible said that demons believe there's one God. And they tremble when we mention his name. No name. No name like that name. People say you, you, you people put too much of an emphasis on the name. Not possible. Not possible. Not possible. Amen. They say if you're not careful, you'll be Jesus only. No. We're not Jesus only. We're Jesus everything. For whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. We don't just baptize in Jesus' name. We pray in Jesus' name. We worship in Jesus' name. Everything we do is done in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Verse number one. Amen. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. 
and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here in mind, he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. And then on the third day, everybody say the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place of sacrifice afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. Amen. Praise God. I want to talk to you today on this thought, preach to you on this thought. What worship requires. What worship requires. Amen. Let's pray together right now. Lord, thank you for your anointing for your presence, for the sweet touch of your spirit in this place. I thank you for victories already won and for victories that are about to be won. I thank you for healings past, for healings present and future. And I thank you today for salvation being imparted and restoration and deliverance. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. Use me, oh God, today to preach to your children in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Would you thank the Lord one more time before you're seated? Hallelujah. 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 Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Somebody shout, what worship requires. I am totally convinced, Brother Chase, that at some point in our lives, God is going to test our loyalty to him by asking us to give up the very thing that we love and the very thing we think we cannot live without. I believe there'll come a point, if you live for God long enough and you live for God right enough, he will cause a point in your relationship with him to draw separation from things you think is impossible to separate from. And the question begs to be asked, why? Why would God do that? Well, first off, let me say, because he's a jealous God. You know, we don't, we don't talk a lot about that anymore, but he's a jealous God. And he wants our affection to be paramount to him. He, he does not want to be an addition to our loyalty. He doesn't want to be an addition to our plans. He wants the seat in the center of our life. He wants to be the center and the circumference of all that we are. He wants us to love him above anything else. Our loyalty and our love must first go to him. I know that's not a popular message anymore. I grew up hearing all the time that if we're not careful, we will put idols in our life. I don't know if y'all remember hearing that preached about a lot. And they would teach us that anything we would put in front of God could become an idol. Amen. And that God, God hates idolatry. 
So we can't allow idolatry in our life. And I, I can almost remember being a kid. I can remember thinking in my mind that, that how, how would we ever worship idols? We, we don't have any graven images to worship, but they would further go on to explain that anything we would give preeminence in our life above the Lord Jesus would become an idol in our life. And hearing that and then understanding that as they taught us and they preached to us that, that uh, a, a job could become an idol. Amen. And that, that money could become an idol. Amen. Uh, uh, let me clear something up. It's going around the internet. I love cleaning up these internet rumors from TikTok theologians. But money is not the root of all evil. Loving money is the root of all evil. Amen. Amen. And, and the Bible said money answereth all things. So if you get, you get your, your finances right with God, they'll be right with all things. I know, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be so biblical. Amen. But anything you, you put in front of God becomes an idol. You can have a job can be an idol. Uh, uh, your money can be an idol. Your image can be an idol. Your popularity, your acceptance can become an idol. Uh, uh, your spouse can become an idol. Amen. I, I, uh, but people say, well, we got to love our spouse. No, we don't just got to. We get to love our spouse. It's a good thing. Amen. But, but um, I've told my wife, she's told me that if it comes down between her and God, uh, she's going to be disappointed. And if I ever give her an ultimatum, it's me or God, then I'm going to be disappointed. Because God's got to be first in our life. That's why, young people, you make sure to marry somebody that's already got God first in their life. You don't marry somebody you got to train to love God. They better love God first. Because if they can't love God with loyalty, they probably ain't going to love you with loyalty. Amen. It's just, just, uh, just some good old-fashioned preaching here. Just, I know I was born about 50 years too late. But anything you put in front of God can become an idol. Sports can become an idol. Hobbies can become idols. And, and God's a jealous God. I, I think we spend so much time preaching God is love, and he is love, but I think sometimes we hit that so hard we forget to preach that, that jealousy is a part of love. Amen. Amen. Jealousy and just being facetious. Um, I know there are people going, he patted himself on the back. That's a sin. I'm joking. I don't know it's a sin, but but jealousy is is an is is a descriptive thing of love. If you love somebody, you're jealous over them. I didn't say controlling. Yeah, man, if you 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 love your spouse and a man starts hitting on her. Gonna have a problem. First of all, thank you. <laughs> she looked good enough for you to hit on. Second of all, that's mine to look at, not yours. And 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 it goes both ways. Because love is not envious, but it can be jealous. Amen. And and God said, I'm a jealous God. If, if some woman come up flirting with me, 
I, I can promise you it ain't going to take my sweet, calm, mild-mannered wife more than 0.3 seconds to slide over there and start handling business at that point. And she ain't going to puff up, but she's going to let it be known. That's what love does. Love, love, love is possessive in the positive sense, that we possess one another. You're mine, and I'm yours. It's not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. And, and God says, you're mine, and I'm yours, and I want to be the center of your affection. I want to be the first thing on your mind when you wake up in the morning. We, we need to get back into fall in love with Jesus all over again. You need to fall in love with Jesus to where he's the first thing you think of when you wake up and the last thing you think of before you go to sleep. You, you need to sing love songs to God. David did. David did in the shepherd's field before he ever became a king. He was a worshiper. He was worshiping on the backside of the desert watching sheep because he loved God and he sang love songs from his heart unto the Lord. Sometimes your worship, amen, and I, I hate to be so, uh, to sound maybe so carnal or whatever, but maybe sometimes your, your worship to the Lord needs to sound like a Teddy Pendergrass song. It needs to sound like a love song. I love you. I can't make it without you. I can't breathe without you. I can't take another step without you. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. The mountains are too high and the valley's too wide. That's the kind of love and affection that we need toward the Lord. And there's nothing more important than our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is more important than that. And to worship him must be a priority. It cannot be secondary. It must be primary. Worship ought not be a reaction, but a proaction. I, I, I want to worship him, not because somebody tells me I have to, not because the praise team is singing a song that I like, not, not because my favorite song came on the radio, but I'm, I'm going to worship him because he is good all the time. And and I love him. I don't need a Valentine's Day to give him affection. I don't need an anniversary or a birthday to give him affection. I don't need Christmas to tell him how much I appreciate him. Every day's Christmas because I wake up and I've got the gift of eternal life in me. And I want to let him know, thank you, Jesus. Every believer is called to be a worshiper. Every believer is called to be a worshiper. In the book of John chapter 4, Jesus is, is having a dialogue with the Samaritan woman at the well. And he speaks to her and to us about the reality of worship. In verse 3 of chapter 4 of John, he says, Those that worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. Got to have those two things, spirit and truth. Spirit and truth is important for worship. Matter of fact, it's imperative for worship. Because you can have truth and not spirit and it not be worship. Or you can have spirit and not truth and it not be worship. But if you are going to have the kind of worship that the Father seeks, it's got to be spirit and truth. Because Jesus said when we worship in spirit and truth, that the Father seeketh such. 
to worship him. This woman was talking about the way her people worshiped on a particular mountain when Jesus let her know that worship was not about being in a particular location or in the right place at the right time, but rather that true worship was having right revelation and right attitude. It's about having the right spirit. Amen. And then lets her know that if you have the right spirit and the right revelation, Brother Chase, that the Father will seek some that are worshiping him like that. I love hearing great sermons, and we've been blessed to hear great messages from many different ministers from this pulpit, but, but God is not seeking preachers. He's seeking worshipers. We've seen a lot of great talent and skill, and it's wonderful, and I thank God we're so blessed, but he's not even seeking talent and skill. He's seeking a worshiper. He's seeking a worshiper. And if God is seeking a worshiper, then I want to become the very thing that God is seeking for. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. If the Father is seeking worship, I want to be the worshiper he's looking for. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place right now. Because it's about right relationship and right revelation. Amen. That if he is seeking a worshiper, then I want to be that worshiper that the Father is seeking to worship him. Amen. And to know what a worshiper is, we got to find out what they must do because I want to know what attracts God into my life and into my situation. Amen. When, when, when you're seeking, uh, um, when, when you're in the courtship process of dating, see how this parallels? You know, you, you find out what they like. Amen. And, and you attend to those things, right? And even in marriage, you, you attend to those things. If, 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 uh, if she says that blue looks good on you, you don't just start wearing brown all the time. Y'all wonder why I wear blue all the time. That's just being petty. No. I want to keep her attracted. Yeah. And when you tell her, oh, I like that perfume. She doesn't go throw it away. And, and for all, all you uh, of married, a, marriage age, single ladies, let me help you. If you want to find a real man, and I mean a real man, one you ain't going to have to support. A real man, man's man. Dab a little bacon grease behind your ear. Because <laughs> real men eat bacon, bless God. And he may look at you a little funny like, why you smell like bacon? But honey, he will follow you home. And be as loyal as a lost puppy the rest of his life. Somebody shout amen. Let all the men say amen. <laughs> you ain't going to attract him. You ain't going to attract the right man with tofu souffle. You're going to attract him with some bacon and a bone-in ribeye. Praise God. 
Amen. The Bible said, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. Act like a wife and God will send you the right husband. It didn't say, he that seeketh a tramp. He that seeketh a wife, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. Meaning that, that, that when a woman, oh God, I better get off this. This is Sunday. It's not, it's, it's, amen. But when she acts like that, a man will say, well, that's who I want to marry. Amen. He's not looking to marry the woman at the club that's loosey-goosey and been with every man in that zip code. He's looking for a woman that has said, you know what, honey, uh, I, I got some, I've, I've got something precious, but you can't have it till you put a ring on it. If you want what I got, it don't come cheap. I don't even advertise. This is so good, I don't need a commercial. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. This is why Maybach doesn't have a commercial. This is why Learjets don't advertise on, on TV and on the radio because only those that can afford it know where to get it. Stop putting your stuff on blue light special and putting it on sale and promoting it and let God send you the right man. Because men are looking for virtue. Well, somebody shout amen. amen. Praise God. Amen. Look at somebody and say, he's moving past it. I know it makes people nervous to preach like that in 2023. Well, that sounds like, you know, that just sounds like, well, it sounds like the Bible to me. Amen. Amen. You'll track the right man. And, 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 and men, treat them like gold. Amen. Treat them like gold. That, that's what the Bible says. And we're to honor. They're to honor them. Amen. That's what we do. Praise God. I, I, I'm moving on. But that's the kind of relationship. The Bible says the Father is seeking. So, so if, if you know what they like, don't do the opposite. If the Father is looking for that, then if you would, put it on. If that's what he's seeking, find what he's seeking and he will find you. Now, I, I think it's important right here that I distinguish that there is a difference, but the vast difference between praise and worship. Now, it, it's valuable to understand that anything and everybody can praise God, but worship is reserved. Number one, first thing you've got to realize is praise is natural. All you need to praise is breath. The Bible said the dead praise not the Lord. So to praise him, all you need is breath. All you need is breath. Everything praises the Lord. Scripture plainly and in numerous passages describes to us the things within nature that demonstrate and actively participate in the praise unto the one true God. Psalms 97, 96 verses 11 and 12 said, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea roar, and the fullness thereof, let the field be full of joy, and all that is therein, then shall all the trees of the woods rejoice. I drove by some fields this afternoon and this morning on the way to church and on the way here, amen, and I was driving by those sunflowers as they were just waving in the wind and I couldn't help but think, look at them, look at them go. They can't even help themselves. They're just praising him. 
I drove through the almond orchards and I saw them branches just going up and down like this. And I thought, look, they can't even help themselves. They've got to praise him. All creation is involved in the praise of our creator. The blossoming rose is praising God. The glistening dew on the grass is praising God. Even the sounds of the birds are praising God. God, because they are God's creature, all are in some measure of praise to their creator. The tune that is found in the morning song of the birds and the chirping crickets in the evening, they are all singing as a chorus and a choir unto the great creator of the universe because what God sets in order, as it continues to function in that order, it is giving God praise. Even the atheist that shakes his fist in the face of God is praising God because God gave him breath and every time they breathe, every time that heart beats, it's saying, I believe in God. I bless the Lord. He's my creator. They don't have to do it with their mouth. They do it with their existence because the winds praise God. The waves praise God. So number one, praise is natural. Number two, praise is mandatory. Let me say it again. Praise is mandatory. Y'all with me on this? I, I, I've, I've got a ways to go. I may not finish this, but I've I got to say praise is mandatory. Jesus was admonished to silence the praise of the people thronging him on his triumphant entry to Jerusalem. They told him, said, make these people shut up. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Make these people shut up. Tell them to be silent as they waved their palm branches and threw their coats on the ground. And Jesus is riding on a donkey into the city that no man had ever rode before, just as the prophet had said. And they are singing Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And all the religious folks lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, tell them to shut up. What did Jesus say? I'm sorry if this offends you. I'll tell them to be quiet. No, that's not what he said. Jesus looked at them and said, if these all together hold their peace, the rocks are going to cry out. He said, if they don't praise me, the rocks will praise me. I was preaching a revival, uh, preached several times in, in, uh, right outside of Boise, Idaho. There's a little town called Nampa, Idaho, N-A-M-P-A, Nampa, Idaho. And, and uh, in the front of the church, there's a rock, and it's about the circumference of this uh, table up here, Brother Guy. And on the front of that rock, it's polished. Amen. On the front of that rock, it says simply this, if you don't, I will. And it doesn't matter how many times I preached a revival in that church for Pastor Max Croft. I would stand there and I'd worship and every time I looked up, I would see that rock and those words looking me right in the eye. If you don't, I will. But I made up my mind a long time ago. Ain't no rock gonna take my place. You better look at the stone and say, you can't tell it. I'm gonna tell it how good God is. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. One Bible passage refers to the Gentiles. Also, let me give you a transmetaphoric association, a theological understanding, also a parallel understanding of that scripture that, that the Bible says in a passage of the Gentiles, it called them, that the Gentiles, that's you and me, called us a bunch of rocks. 
So Jesus had two meanings to that, Brother Strickland. He said, number one, if you don't praise him, these physical stones will cry out. The other meaning to that was if you if they don't praise me, I'm going to reach out to some Gentiles and they'll praise me. And here we are 2,000 years later and the rocks are praising him. Praise is going to be done because praise is mandatory. The heavenly host in nature itself is found in the throes of praise. Philippians 2 and 9 through 11 says, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and has given him a name which is above every name. Amen. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's praise. Praise is mandatory. Either you praise him now or you'll praise him later. Let me say it again. Either you praise him now or you praise him. But eventually, God's going to get his due praise out of us. Because there's coming a day that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's. I don't want to wait till I have to. I want to do it when I get to. <laughs> you may say, well, Pastor, why should I praise him now if I'm going to praise him later? Oh, because it's relationship. It's either fall upon the rock and be broken or the rock fall upon you and be crushed. I want to praise him while it's, while it's something that I want to do. You got to understand that praise, listen, listen, you say, well, I'm not good enough to praise. Well, let me throw this at you. Praise doesn't even require virtue. The fact that praise is natural and mandatory brings it into a dimension that requires no virtue. Meaning you ain't even got to be good to praise God. Your dog's praising God. Even our worthless dog's praising God right now. Because he's breathing. When he sheds that coat in the summertime, oh, I can't stand it. That husky blowing that coat, hair all over the place, that's a praise unto God. Because God created that animal for his coat to shed in the summer and to grow thick in the winter. And every time it does, amen, it is a praise to almighty God. And he don't have to say, rah, 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 rah. he don't have to do that. He just breathing, he's praising. You ain't even got to be good to praise God. Amen. Rah, rah. <laughs> praise God. The reasons to praise God are too numerous to just share with you today. There's too many reasons to praise God, to not praise God. We praise him for our health. We praise him for our wealth. We praise him for wisdom. We praise him because we have a job. We praise him because our bills are paid. We praise God for our families. We praise God for our homes. We praise God for the material things. Amen. We praise God for his healing, provision, and protection. Amen. We used to say, they all used to say all the time in testimony service, I want to praise the Lord because he woke me up this morning in my right mind, gave me breath in my lungs, and started me on my way. 
I think we ought to get back to praising God for the little things. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. If I had 10,000 tongues, I still couldn't tell how good God's been to me. Things ain't got to be good to praise God. Because God's good no matter what. God is good all the time. Now, some of y'all said it right after that. God is good all the time and, and all the time God is good. God is good all the time. And, boy, that was saying, if you didn't know to say that in a church growing up, they thought you was a heathen. They'd say, amen. And you'd almost warn the visitor coming in, you better say and all the time God is good. If they don't, man, they're going to palm your head like a bowling ball. You better, you better say it. And they walk up there and say, God is good all the time. Everybody's saying, all the time, God is good. And then they get up and say, I like what I feel, and I feel what I like. Things don't have to be right to praise God. You praise God anytime. We can still echo his praise even when everything is falling apart. Hey Amen. Can you praise God when everything's falling apart? Can you still praise him when even the heavens seem to be silent? Can we still praise him? Amen. When there's no money in the bank, can we still praise him? When the cars broke down on the side of the road, can we still praise him when a loved one is in a wooden box? Can we still praise him? when all hell seems to break loose in our life? Because a real worshiper, it takes a real worshiper to do this. Because unlike praise, worship becomes deeper than praise. It's no longer of my, my expression of my adoration limited to the fruit of my lips. But now it manifests in a deep understanding of not what God does, but who God is. And now this expression involves not only my lips, but my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, says David. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Why anybody can praise him with their lips, only a worshiper can reflect out God's glory from their spirit. Because worship is taking it to another level than praise. Y'all still with me? First time worship is mentioned in the Bible. It's found in the text that I read in your hearing. If we view this text and use the law of first reference or first mention, then we can learn a lot about what worship really is. First and foremost, unlike praise, worship requires preparation. You're not just going to worship the Lord. You've got to prepare to worship the Lord. You can stumble into a praise, but you ain't going to fall into a worship. You got to prepare to worship him. Abraham is asked by God to, to offer up a sacrifice. And not just any, he wanted a sacrifice like had never been given before. He wanted his son. 
Abraham rises early the next morning and he takes all the things that he needs and begins his journey, amen, to the place that God showed him to go because true worship is going to require you to prepare to do it. I can't help but imagine, amen, the mental struggle that Abraham must have gone through when God gave him that message to offer up his son, his only son, amen, offer up his son. It sounds as if, amen, Abraham is offering him a drink. Do you want Coke or Pepsi? But that's not what it was. When he said, offer your son, he said, I want his life. I want his blood to be spilled upon the altar. I can't imagine what Abraham, what what he went through mentally, but yet he did not doubt. God. Amen. From experience, he knew that God surely had a purpose. If God was going to ask him to offer up his only son, he knew that God was a loving God. He knew that God was a faithful God. He knew God was a provision God. So Abraham knew I may not understand why he's asking for what he's asking for, but I understand God ain't never let me down. God ain't never failed me. He'll never ask of me something he's not willing to replace he knew that God was faithful to what he had promised and he had a confident assurance that God would make a way where there would seem to be no way he had a hope he had an assurance oh the words of that old hymn comes to mind blessed assurance Jesus is mine oh what a foretaste of glory divine heirs of salvation I still believe in the blessed hope that God gives us he'll never ask of us for something that he is not willing to provide himself with that kind of faith Abraham rose up early the next morning and he prepared for the trip up the mountain he cut enough wood for the burnt offering and then he saddled his donkey and they headed upwards he cut enough wood he knew how much wood it was going to take amen he had to gauge I want you to hear me right now it wasn't as simple brother Chase is just going and cutting down a few twigs he had to gauge how much wood is going he had to remember okay the last time that I offered up a lamb to be sacrificed I had 18 pieces of wood and it barely got the job done that's a 32 pound lamb now I've got an 85 pound boy how much wood is it going to take to burn that sacrifice I don't think you're catching this yet he had to calculate in his mind how much wood is it going to take to completely totally engulf and consume the body of my baby boy for this offering to be completely see you got to quit stumbling into church hoping that this is going to be God is this good no you got to get it when you're at home while you're brushing your teeth and combing your hair oh I'm going I'm to worship him today I, I know what it's going to take today I, I've got depression on my mind I've got anxiety in my spirit I'm fighting demons at work I'm fighting life and everything's coming against oh but when I get to the house of God I'm going to worship him it's going to take a lot of wood because I got a big sacrifice it's going to take more than a half hearted hallelujah it's going to take more than a little patty cake for Jesus if I'm going to give him what he requires it's going to take a lot <laughs> He was remembering past sacrifices. He was remembering past sacrifices and how much wood it took to consume that sacrifice. And then he had to calculate how much wood it would take to consume the body of his only son. 
You see, for us, it's just an abstract story, but Abraham lived it. Not only was Abraham living that, but in the very self-same moment, he was still hurting over the fact that Ishmael was wandering through a desert somewhere with Hagar, hoping that they were going to survive uh, the wilderness that was happening in the desert for them. And while he's being tore up on the inside about that, then God speaks to him and says, hey, buddy, I know you're hurting, but you see that little boy beside you? That's the only son I'll ever recognize. Now I want you to take your promised son from the wife that you love. I don't even want you to explain it to her. Mama don't even need to know about this. But you're going to take that boy to the top of the mountain and there I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice for me. But Abraham had enough faith to get up that morning and load up enough wood on that donkey. He took two of his servants and he started his journey. And God asked him to offer up his son on a mountain in Moriah. It would take him three days to get to the top of that mountain to offer that little boy up there. Are you with me? Oh, I can see the parallels now as Abraham took two servants and three days to get to the top of a mountain to make a sacrifice. Tell me the Bible's a lie. You're crazy because thousands of years before Jesus would ever climb Calvary's hill, there it was that Abraham and the type of God, he took two servants. Jesus was hung between two thieves, three days, three nights in the grave. It was three nights, three days up the mountain to offer up a sacrifice. You lost your mind if you think this is some just some book for the weak-minded. God laid this out perfectly and parenthetically to mirror that of the cross of Calvary. He had many chances to question God in those three days and to disobey him. He had a long time to think this through, yet step by step, he moved on. Step by step, he could hear the twigs crushing under the feet of his little boy. He could hear the humming tunes of that little boy. He could hear the footsteps of that son that he had believed for for so long. Knowing that in just a few days, he was going to lay a knife to his throat and offer him, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. It was more than just an event. This was something that was going to change not only their lives, but ours also. But on the way up that mountain, Abraham never doubted. Abraham never turned around. Abraham never said, God, are you sure about this? Because Hebrews 11 and 17 through 19 says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that Isaac shall be thy seed called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure. In other words, Abraham said, God, I believe you can take the broken, burnt body of this dead boy and bring it back to life. I'm preaching to some worshipers here this afternoon that you put some things on the altar and God says, I'm about to breathe life into that. I'm about to restore that. But how could God fulfill a promise if the boy's dead? Abraham didn't even ask. God, how's my future gonna go? He just put him on the altar. Because verse 19 said, Abraham reasoned that God 
could raise him from the dead. And until you are willing to let die those things in your life that you think are so precious you'll never understand that sweet taste of worship in your mouth. Until you are willing to put on the altar that most sacred, most precious promise that God has ever laid in your lap. Until you are willing to separate from it and part from it and say, God, I love that boy, but I love you more. I love this promise, but I love you more. As the song says, I I will give you all. If all is what you ask of me, I will not withhold. If my sacrifice is less than giving you my very best. Because true worship says, I love what I'm sacrificing. But I love you more. I love you more than my job. I love you more than my family. I love you more than acceptance. I love you more than money. I love you more than entertainment. I love you more than friends. I love you more than popularity. I love you more than the things of this life. God, I love you even more than the next breath I'm about to breathe. I love you. I love you more. I love you more than I could ever express. If I had 10,000 tongues, I couldn't tell you how much I love you. But God, I love you so much. I don't want to offer up this son. I don't want to lay this upon the altar, but God, if that's what you're asking of me, I'll do it because I still believe. See, God believed, Abraham believed God could Raise Isaac from the dead. Am I speaking to anybody so far? I think I'm preaching to some people that's walking with some Isaacs right now. You wonder why God's asking that of you. And God's saying, because I want to really see if I have all of you. Because if he's not Lord of all, he can't be Lord at all. Abraham believed Abraham believed so strong because Abraham had seen God's power firsthand in the birth of his son Isaac when he and his wife were well past their prime and childbearing age. So in the heart of Abraham, he knew he was all prepared to offer up Isaac in this sacrifice in his mind, in his mind before he even put the stones on top of each other. In his mind, Isaac was already as good as dead. You see, the physical act of sacrifice was the last thing Abraham had to do because before he ever climbed that mountain, he had already laid that boy upon the altar. I'm telling some of you right now, before you climb the mountain of victory, you better be willing to lay it first down in your heart. Because not only does worship require preparation, but worship requires Separation. I hope this is okay for a Sunday. Verse 5 said, And Abraham said to his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. You see how much faith Abraham had? He said, Y'all stay with the donkey. We'll be back. He didn't say, I'll be back. He 
said, we will go worship. I and the lad will go worship. Because even the thing you offer to the Lord is going to worship. You see, it doesn't just take preparation to worship. It takes separation to worship. There are some things you've got to leave at the bottom of the mountain if you're really going to worship God. Let me just say this real quick, and I, I'm trying to find a place to land this plane, but let me say this. There is a difference between separation and isolation. And I'm not preaching about isolation. I'm preaching about separation. It is difficult, if not impossible, to worship with people or stuff that is not consecrated. Let, let me say that again. It is, it is difficult, if not impossible, to truly worship God with people and things that are not already consecrated unto the Lord. And that's why Abraham told the two servants, you stay here and we will go worship because they didn't have the consecration. They didn't have the faith that Abraham had. They didn't do what it was gonna take to offer up a sacrifice on top of that mountain. Quit getting mad at God when he separates unconsecrated people out of your life. Quit getting angry with God when he starts cutting ties with things in your life that are not committed. Amen. Tells the servants, you stay here. We are going to go worship. Very often we rationalize our way into disobedience. Amen. I'm trying to hurry. Believe me, I'm trying to hurry. Many times we rationalize our way into disobedience. We look at the decision, at the situation, and, and after thinking it through, we end up disobeying God because we find many reasons why we should not go ahead and do what God wants us to do. Everything from God understands to God, it'll make me happy, and certainly you want me to be happy. We'll use every excuse in the book. I'm not ready. That's just not who I am. It's just my culture. My family's been this way. We need to quit trying to rationalize our way to disobedience and prioritize our way to obedience. We give excuses why God's commandment is too difficult to follow. Abraham reasoned his way not into disobedience. He reasoned his way into obedience. Till he said, okay, well, if God kills him, he'll raise him up again. He believed and trusted in God completely. In fact, on his way there, as if it wasn't already a sacrifice, as if this wasn't already tugging on his heart. While they are climbing the difficult path to the top of Moriah, all of a sudden that little boy tugs on the coat of his dad and says, Daddy, where's the lamb? Daddy, where's the lamb? And he looks in the eyes of that little boy that he's about to lay upon that altar. And he says to him, the first messianic prophecy that gives clarity to what's going to happen about 4,000 years later when he looks at him and says, son, God will provide himself a lamb. Right. 
down to the altar. The Bible said all of a sudden there came a rustling in the bush and he looked over and God had provided a ram in place of that boy. And Abraham stood back and he cried. This mountain shall be called Chira because he is my provider. We need to take notice of something else here. God is not interested in human sacrifice. Don't get it confused. God is not interested in human sacrifice. Rather, he is interested in the condition of Abraham's heart. He was wanting to know, Abraham, do you really love me like you say you love me? Are you going to follow me when the going gets tough? Abraham, you've been able to follow me as long as I promised blessing. You've been able to follow me as long as I said your seed will inherit the earth. But are you willing to follow me when I ask of you everything that you love and everything you've hoped for and everything you desire? It's easy to serve God on Sunday when we're dancing, but can you serve God on Thursday when the temptation's hot? Can you really serve God on a Saturday when God says, I want all of you? What you got to understand is there was a false religion that was predominant in that era and in that region of the world. It was called Moloch worship. You with me? And to worship Moloch, you had to take your child. Listen to me. And they would have had a pit that was on fire and an idol of Moloch. And you had to take your children to appease the god Moloch and throw your living child into a burning pit to be burned alive. And that was the only thing that would satisfy the, that fake god named Moloch. And by the thousands, they threw their children into a furnace and they danced while their children screamed for their lives in the burning flames. It seems kind of reminiscent to where we are now. People criticize us for taking our kids to junior camp. You, they, the world criticizes us as we're brainwashing our kids because they're at church all the time. And we have them pray and read their Bible at home. Amen. But what they don't understand is we understand there's a Moloch out there. There's a Moloch that wants our children. There's a Moloch that wants to take our, but we stand up and say, hey, if the world wants to give their children, that's up to them. But I'm going to give my child to God. In other words, God looked at Abraham, Brother Garza, and said, are you willing to worship me like the heathen worships their God? Are you willing to give me your child like they're willing to give their children? And when Abraham was willing to worship, when he was willing to prepare and separate, This world's going crazy and we criticize them, but let me just say this. I would to God we had the same passion and the same dedication to serve God as some people have to serve the world. 
the Bible very clear as it tells us that God gave Abraham this as a test. You see, that's how our faith can grow in God. The only way our faith can grow in God is when we are tested. God wanted to test what was in Abraham's heart. God was asking for something that was very precious. His son, of whom Genesis 22 and 2 said that he loved. And we see Abraham had the faith to give it. It was Abraham's faith that enabled the future for the nation of Israel to still exist to this day. And we ourselves are the children of Abraham. For the Bible said, if any man be in Christ, he is of the seed of Abraham. And we walk in that same faith. I bring this to a close. Because worship requires preparation. It requires separation. And worship requires total surrender. Abraham was about to give God everything that was important and valuable to him. The proof of his faith, the essence of his hope, the fruit of his lifelong journey with God was about to be laid upon the altar. Why? Because God beat him over the head? No. Because God threatened him? No. Simply because God asked him one time. It's important to understand God's not going to beat worship out of us. He's just going to ask us. Give it to me. You see, the ingredient of anointing oil, the anointing that we talk about so much in the Old Testament, it's when they would squeeze the first oil out of that olive. That first squeeze, that's the oil they took. Because it was that first surrender that God wanted to be used as holy anointing oil. God's not going to crush you to get worship out of you. Because true worship is an act of surrender. Matter of fact, Paul picks up on this theme in Romans 12 and 1 and 2. And he says, and I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be it transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove that which is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because when you live a life of sacrifice, you live live a life of worship. Mm, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Worship is a true act of surrender. It's a true act of obedience. It is a true act of sacrifice. And I'm going to close with this. The musicians come. He had to have the right ingredients to worship. Three things he had to have. Wood, fire, and a knife. He carried the fire with him, first of all. He had to have wood, something, wood is something that is already dead. It is something that easily burns. It is something that can be consumed. Amen. There are issues and questions that are already dead in your life. That's what God wants you to use as kindling to offer up that sacrifice unto him. Everybody has some wood somewhere in their life. If you're living to, for God to any degree at all, you should be able to gather enough wood to really worship 
worship the Lord. You should be able to gather enough sacrifice to really heat things up to worship the Lord. The second thing that he had to have was fire. Amen. Fire is something that's hot. Amen. Fire is a thing that has light. Fire is a thing that will consume the dead and the living that is in it. The fire changes the molecular structure of anything that it comes in contact with. You take the wood and you put it down and you put the fire to it and you have created an atmosphere that would deal with those things that are still alive in your life because when fire comes in contact with it, it will consume all of it. I want you to know my God, the Bible says is a consuming fire. And finally, he had a knife. Everybody say a knife. And this is where worship comes in. Anybody can cut wood. Anybody can build a fire. But worship without sacrifice is just a cookout. It's the knife that separated. When we sacrifice and we put on the altar everything precious, this is where God begins to intersect and interact in our life in a very precious way. When you get the dead things in order and you get the fire burning, it's time to use the knife on those things that are still alive. Would you stand with me today? I know, I know I've went long. But it's that knife. There's some things in our life God wants us to put a knife to. I know that doesn't make us run and shout. I know we're not jumping up and down over that. But when you offer up true worship, there's some things you got to put a blade to. Say, no, 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 I love you but I love him more. Because anybody can worship with wood. And anybody can worship with fire. But to truly worship him, you got to pull out a blade. Say, Lord, cut it away from No, no, no. God's not going to cut it. I've got to cut it. Say, Pastor, aren't you afraid somebody's going to misunderstand that you're talking about mutilation? No, 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 no. Listen, the only spiritual things can be received are those of the Spirit. So bear with me. It pains me to say it, but sometimes there's relationships. I've lived for God long enough to know that not everybody I started this race with that I will finish this race with. Sister Cindy, there were things in my life that were acceptable when I was younger in serving God. But the more I served Him, the less they were acceptable in my life. And they weren't even things that were sin. They were just things I loved too much. Y'all still with me? The word of God says, lay aside every sin and wait. That what? Doth so 
easily upset us. Because true worship, you're going to put some things on the altar. And say, God, I know it's not a sin. But if that's what you're asking. It's not easy. There are things I separated with, not because they were sin, but because God wanted that part of my life. And there's not a worshiper alive that has not had to draw blood with things that they loved. And what God's asking of you this afternoon is, is there anything that is off limits in in your life? Oh man, we could we could get up here and dance around. We can get a little fast beat going. We can shout like we did earlier. Well, we can leave here and go, whoo, man, I felt that. I, I shouted just. But true worship goes deeper than that. True, true worship, Brother D, JD, is when God puts a finger on something in your life and says, I want that. And you know it's true worship when you recall and go, oh. See, God will find that one thing you're, that you won't negotiate over. And he'll put his hand on it. And he'll say, that's what I want. And if you give anything less, he rejects it. And you'll spend your life dancing around altars and praising. And never connecting with him in worship. God, I had a career. God, I was going to be something great. I was going to be the next one that everybody saw. Saw. Why do you persecute me? Give me that education. Give me all that intellect. I'll take it. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here. Until walked, Paul walked away from everything he sought and said, that thing that I used to love, I now count it as dung. Would you lift your hands in this house? I feel true worship starting to lift in this place. (laughs) I know there's some worshipers in this house. And there are some that have lived in praise. And you have praised God and it has been power. And you have praised God and there's been demonstration and there's been sweat and there's been tears. But God is offering you to take a journey to Moriah right now. He's inviting you to know him as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. 
He's offering you that place of sacrifice, that place of true biblical worship that requires separation and preparation and sacrifice. He's inviting you to that place where you humble yourself and say, okay, God, if that's what you want of me, that's what I'll give. If my sacrifice is less than giving you my very best, help me remember Calvary's cost and be willing to say yes. I don't have to preach anymore because any person in this place that is spiritually perceptive, God has already been touching something in your life during this message. God has already touched something in your heart and said, I want that. I want that. I want you to give me that. And you've got to be willing right now to lay that on the altar. I wonder if there is an Abraham right now, a man that is willing to step out from where you are and make the journey, amen, to this altar right now and say, okay, God, I'm going to enter into another dimension. I'm going to worship you in spirit and in truth. I know that's what you want, so that's what I'm going to give. Lord, I know you've put your finger on that in my life. I feel the Holy Ghost here. I feel that God's transforming something in somebody's life right now. Maybe this message wasn't for everybody. Maybe this message wasn't received by everybody. Amen. And I'm okay with that because God has put his finger on something in somebody's life and said, that's what I want. I, I, I know that's not, I know you don't want to give that up. I know you're really tied to that thing. I, I know you love it. I know you have affection for it. And that's okay. I didn't say you couldn't love it. But what I'm wanting you to do now is to give it to me because that's what worship requires. That's what worship is asking of you. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.